You're listening to the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Podcast. If you're an aged care professional, you can connect with us at the Prof. Joe COVID-19 Aged Care Facebook group. Otherwise, you can connect with us at our regular page at Prof. Joe Online. You can also visit our website at profjoe.com.au for a collection of all our links. Also, feel free to email us at info at profjoe.com.au. Welcome. COVID-19. It's already here and it's coming to a facility near you. It's not the flu and we're going to make mistakes if we treat it like the flu. We don't have a history for this virus. It's probably not seasonal like the flu and more people are dying as a proportion of cases when compared to the flu. COVID is creating a challenge for healthcare systems and we have to adapt on the spot. We simply don't have time to wait until our knowledge catches up. But there is hope. There is light at the end of this tunnel. Because when people are working together, they are taking command of the impact of this virus. We're seeing that all around the globe, in some places better than others. The world's best scientific minds right now are trying to fix this. They're looking for ways to stop the virus replicating. They're looking for ways to stop the virus progressing into pneumonia. And finally, they're looking at ways to stop the progression of the pneumonia into the lethal acute respiratory distress syndrome that puts people on ventilators and causes deaths. In parallel to this, scientists are also looking at potential vaccines. And many of these stories are showing a lot of potential. So what do we need to do right now? We need to come together to protect each other and to buy time until the world catches up with this virus and finds some of the answers for us. So welcome everyone to the Prof Joe COVID-19 podcast. In the studio today, we have myself, Pratik Bando, and Professor Joseph Ibrahim, who we all like to call Prof Joe. Hi there, Prof. How are you going? You're right to be frightened. We all should be frightened. That's a normal reaction to the situation, but we shouldn't be so frightened that we become paralyzed. I believe very strongly that if we all take action, if we all do the little things that we don't normally pay attention to every day with every step, we can get control of the virus. We can reduce the number of hospitalizations and we can reduce the number of deaths. Okay, so Prof, we've talked a little bit now about the virus and the impact of that virus on the greater community. I want to turn your attention now to what we've been talking about previously to this podcast, and that is about aged care and how aged care and the circumstances of care in an aged care facility put the residents in a particularly vulnerable situation. That's right, Prateek. And you've kind of told me that there are five main ways that this kind of happens. And I want to put those ideas to you so we can discuss them in a little bit of detail. First thing you told me was that the population is medically vulnerable. What do you mean by that? We know that the COVID-19 has the highest mortality rate in people that are older with multiple conditions. The average age of a resident in Australia is 83 they typically have anywhere from a four or more chronic diseases like diabetes, hypertension, heart failure, which are all associated with a higher mortality. Yeah, and I think you mentioned earlier also that it's not just mortality, it's also progressing to a serious condition. Yes, so we're expecting that when the virus affects an older person that their existing conditions will also get worse. So even if they have a mild COVID-19 infection, 
that might be enough to tip the balance in terms of their heart failure or their diabetes or some other condition. So that's also very worrying. I'm going to move on now to the second idea, which is their living arrangements. The drive over the past few decades is to make residential aged care more home-like. What COVID-19 requires is a clinical model of care. What's needed to control COVID-19 outbreaks is the same equipment and space arrangements that you would normally get in a clinical space, such as a hospital or clinic. We have designed these elements out to make aged care a place where you want to live. And so we now need to turn on its head the notion that the facility is your home And we've now got to reconfigure our thinking here to how do we operate this as a hospital to control the virus. So the physical space is designed more like a home than a hospital, but COVID-19 is going to require hand hygiene and all those things that a hospital is well designed for. Yes. So are there sinks in every room? Can you access it easily? And where do you store the personal protective equipment? And yeah, there there are no positive pressure ventilated rooms in residential aged care because that's not what it was designed for. And so there are these structural and physical limitations that exist that we have to recognize and find a way to work around. So apart from the physical parameters of an aged care facility, Your third point is about the level of acuity in an aged care facility is low, whereas we're going to require high levels of strictness in terms of preventing entry, infection control, surveillance, and isolation. I'm specifically talking about the culture of what we want aged care to be, and we want aged care to be inclusive. We want people to be socially connected. We want people to be part of the community. The facilities have, on average, somewhere between 30 to 120 people, depending on their size. The risk of infection, once it gets in, is going to be very high. And so we have to be very vigilant about excluding and protecting people. And I ask people to reframe their thinking. And instead of talking about isolation, they talk about protecting the individual. And we're socially distancing to protect the person. We are asking family and friends not to visit. And I think by saying that we are isolating them conjures up the notion that we're punishing them. That's not at all what we want to do. Your fourth point is about under-resourcing in aged care facilities and about the level of training of staff members and how that's not suited to a pandemic situation. That's correct, Pratik. The the Royal Commission itself, and it's widely known that the sector is under-resourced, that the majority of staff have a low level of training. The major workforce is the personal care attendants, and their role is focused on the day-to-day needs of the resident. They will have some level of infection control training. But what we're asking of them now is for them to be pedantic, meticulous, and to address the issue of infection control in the same way that we would ask a scrub nurse or a surgeon going into the operating theatre. So that requires reinforcing those procedures. And I guess that junior level of training is put in stark contrast to the unforgiving nature of the virus. 
80% of people can experience a mild form of the illness, which means we would need to be very vigilant about detecting a mild form of the illness. If the virus spreads perhaps as early as two days before symptoms emerge, it's very contagious early on in the setting of the virus. And the signs can be quite subtle at that early stage and require some degree of medical expertise, really, to be able to pick them up, Prof. Those complexities are what makes it a real challenge to communicate. And the level of confusion and concern in the community highlights how hard it is to provide a simple, clear message about what to do. And this is in part due to a wide range of different sources of information coming in that don't quite match because they're based on the setting or country that they're coming from. Right. So your fifth point, Prof, is about supporting structures or the idea that supporting services are going to be overstretched. I've described this as supporting services, what people would more typically understand this as calling on your general practitioner, the aged care services from the local hospital, the emergency department. Those services are going to be overwhelmed because of the nature of the pandemic and they will not be as readily available, nor will they have the same capacity to assist. And this will create a greater onus on the facility to find ways to solve the problems that in the past they've been able to hand over to or draw in additional help. So you're talking about a pretty difficult challenge for the aged care facilities here in dealing with COVID-19. I think that's critical because the nature of the workforce means that the negotiation of what's clinically important and talking to consulting with the clinicians in the emergency department or the hospital or the uh, geriatric specialist isn't a task that can fall to the personal care workers and yet they're the greatest proportion of the workforce we don't have the nurses that we used to have in aged care who might have been able to help with that role at this time. The other point to make is that there's an expectation that there will be an absenteeism or of a rate of somewhere between 20 to 40 percent due to either the staff becoming ill or having to fulfill their caring obligations for their families in their own home. So we're painting a pretty difficult situation here, Prof, and we're talking about a particularly medically vulnerable population sitting in a community-type setting, ill-equipped for medical care, with a workforce that is largely junior, with a disease that requires a high level of knowledge of picking up early signs of a disease that is unforgiving in terms of being contagious and causing serious effects and within a system that is poorly supported because it's going to be very badly stretched. So those are the challenges. You're now going to work your way through in the nine weeks. And in order to work through those, you've come up with nine critical actions that you think that if we can explore properly and put into place, they might be able to save some lives. That's right, Prateek. So I guess I'll take you through them now, if that's okay, one by one, and just get your insight on what we're going to be talking about. So I'll start with the first one. The first one is lockdown hard and lockdown now. That's right. We need an absolute lockdown, not the soft one that we've got now, only essentials, people to enter the facility. Number two, you've got innovate to make the lockdown humane. 
for the lockdown to succeed, we have to be considerate of the resident and their personal needs to stay connected with family. And then number three, an uncompromising approach to infection control. We need to be vigilant and support each other to adhere 110% to infection control guidelines. Because as you mentioned, that this virus is very unforgiving. Number four, vigilant early detection and surveillance for COVID-19. If we're able to find the cases early and act and manage the controls, that limits the spread. Number five, effective isolation of suspected and confirmed cases. Oh, that would be a challenging one in aged care. It's a challenge in aged care and we need to be thinking of ways that we're able to do that better. Number six, protect your staff from COVID and maintain their trust. Everyone knows we're lost without staff in aged care. We need to look after them and they need to believe and trust in us in what we're doing and know that we have their interests at heart. Uh, yeah, I can imagine if, if staff doesn't feel protected with personal protective gear, they're not going to want to turn up to work. There's going to be have to be a two-way trust there. Number seven, accessing treatment in desperate times. What I see is that the acute hospitals are overwhelmed, as are the general practitioners. And so what are we going to do when our residents are sick and need more help and the help that we normally get, we're struggling to find. We have to think our way through that. Escalating the situation here to number eight, you've got continuing to operate during a COVID outbreak. So continuing to operate during a COVID outbreak is focusing on how we maintain the service and care to older people so we're not faced with a catastrophic failure. Mental health and wellbeing at times of crisis. This is essential and we need to be open and honest about that. If we're able to stay focused, if we're able to maintain our emotional balance and well-being, we will do a better job. And if we're able to do a better job, we will come through this pandemic in a much better way. So that's a very interesting list there. I think it's gonna be a very challenging podcast series, but I appreciate your efforts in putting this together. Do you have any comments for the listeners out there about what's coming? The most important thing is to stay level-headed, recognise that we're all worried and anxious, but if we're level-headed, work together as a team, work together to find solutions and accept that the solutions won't be perfect, but they're better than not acting at all. We will get through this. Thank you very much for your time there, Prof Joe. Thank you, Prateek.